welcome to episode five of the Praxis Pedagogy podcast with Tim Carson and Chad Flynn. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy podcast. You see, Chad, I didn't roll my R's on that one. This awesome. Is, uh, this is a charm here. So uh, number Here's five <laughs> is the episode. And uh, we are here with a very special guest. And uh, like I was saying off air, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little, well, I'm more than a little excited. I'm very excited, but I'm a little nervous about this interview. I know. I, I, I totally agree with you, Tim. Um, Arlie's been, I've been following Arlie on Twitter for a long time. And between everything she's doing in open education and then her tweets about her toddler, I'm just a, a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Or that's the right. toddler as she pr- refers to it. That's right. The toddler. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we have a very special guest. So Arlie, why don't uh, you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I am Arlie Crothers and I teach applied communications at Kwantlen uh, Polytechnic. And um, yeah, I'm interested in uh, talking all about business writing and then open pedagogy. And uh, my previous career was as a, a Paralympian and a Parasport communicator. So I can talk your ear off about that as well. <laughs> that, that what is sport? Awesome. Uh, wheelchair basketball. Awesome. So uh, Paralympian uh, communicator? Yeah. So I used to work um, for uh, the wheelchair rugby national team. Uh, and then uh, some provincial uh, uh, wheelchair sport organization. So I got to get to get people hooked on uh, parasport uh, uh, professionally for a while there, which was a fun job. I worked at a couple of Paralympics and uh, world championships and stuff. Wow. That's very cool. That's very cool. Now, if I remember correctly, uh, you received a bronze medal in 2004. Is that correct? Yeah, at, at the Athens Paralympics. Oh, how cool is that? Very cool. So do you have that sucker hanging up on the wall? You know, the funny part is, is that I actually don't have, um, I don't know where it is. So <laughs> I have two world championship uh, gold uh, medals and I have a, the Paralympic bronze and I think they're at my parents' house. I might have lent the, lent the world championship medal out to like a teacher to bring into their class. And then, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'm a little, I, I guess I'm more focused on that. You got the memories of the event rather than the, uh, the medals but yeah they're a little displaced by now that's that's <laughs> hilarious they're, they're in a box in a dusty crawl space somewhere right in the back corner yeah we'll get them up when uh, dot's old enough uh, to uh to uh, play with them <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's awesome and then you're also uh, a novelist you're also a writer and you've won some awards in that arena haven't you yeah, my first novel was shortlisted uh, for the Commonwealth Writers' Prize, and I've been longlisted uh, for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I have, uh, I have two novels um, under my uh, uh, my maiden name, which is uh, Arlie McNenny, and right. uh, hopefully finished a, a third nonfiction book uh, soon. It's been ten years in the making, so uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll get it done. So you're you're writing a nonfiction book, and can you tell us what it's about? Yeah, it's about um, basically I uh, was. Uh, from the time I was 11, uh, was you know disabled, walked with crutches, and was on a uh, used a wheelchair. And then I had a bunch of hip replacements, and for about three years, I was basically able-bodied. I could you know hike and camp and do all the things that I um, wanted to do. And then uh, my body basically fell apart again. So it's basically about what I did during those those three good years, and um, kind of going back to uh, uh, walking. I've just started walking with um, forearm crutches again. So right. Um, a little bit about uh, uh, you know, parasport and 
uh, about kind of uh, uh, it's based on. I had a, a hip replacement blog called Young and Hip um, that was a recovery. From, uh, <laughs> That's the best name ever, <laughs> Young and Hip. Yeah, so it was kind of a humorous take on um, uh, having these uh, these hip replacements, and then a muscle in my butt fell off. So I was uh, kind of chronicling that recovery. So I'm uh, I'm uh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, mining some of the stuff from the from the blog for for the memoir. Oh, wow, wow, that's amazing. There's a, there's a small connection between my family and your topic there because uh, one of my daughters, Hannah, she has uh, dwarfism, achondroplasia, and she's in the beginning stages of getting licensed and trained to go to the Paralympics for dressage for horses. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous, right? Because she's, well, I mean, she's, she's she's three foot two. She's 17. And I've already seen her fall off the horse like head first twice. <sighs> and oh, yeah, it just makes me cringe every time I replay it in my brain. But she's excited. She's strong willed and she's looking forward to doing it. So um, I can I can relate a tiny bit to uh, the um, the Paralympic touch there. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's fun. Congratulations on all of that, by the way. Yeah, it's fun to see a bunch of different uh, para sports. I work for uh, for judo and bocce as well as wheelchair rugby at the most recent Paralympics, and uh, it's so interesting that you know every every sport has a para sport equivalent, and you know some yeah. of the, um, some of the really cool modifications that people have come up with is uh, um, is always always uh, uh, fun to see how uh, um, different sports kind of uh, tackle inclusion. Sure. Did you say wheel sport rugby? Wheelchair rugby, yeah, it was originally called murder ball when it was invented. It's uh, it's a very if you ever have a chance to see that sport, it is so fun to watch. Just people flying out of their wheelchairs. Uh, no way. Crash up derby, uh, uh, kind of thing. Crash, crash up derby meets chess. Like it's a very. Um, I worked for that for quite a, a while. I'm a, still a huge fan of that game. There was a documentary a couple of years ago, or maybe more than a couple of years ago now, called Murder Ball, all about it. It was insane. Yeah, those um, uh, that team is the team that I uh, that I used to work for. But uh, yeah, I used to work with Duncan Campbell, the guy who um, invented him and his his friends in a gym in Winnipeg. Um, were just messing around and uh, uh, did the sport for themselves, and then it ended up becoming this uh, international phenomenon. That's a, that's amazing. So they don't play this outside; they play it inside. It's played inside on a on a gym. So it's it's basically. Um, it has a rules of like a little bit of rules of rugby, but most of uh, um, kind of a bunch of different sports. But basically, it's uh, four on four. You have to try to carry a ball across a goal line, um, and you can yeah, people you hit each other and uh, and stuff. Try a little to, ram into each other. Yeah, so it's pretty. Uh, uh, yeah, if you ever see clips on uh, on YouTube or get a chance to watch it, watch it in person. It's uh, oh, guess uh, what I'm doing later. Yeah, it is. It is pretty uh, uh, pretty fun. It's always a, a cool experience. I um, I worked at the Parapan Am Games, and it's a pack, totally packed stadium. And when it was in, in Toronto, and the first time someone gets hit, there's just this gasp that goes up from the from the audience. Oh. And then the second time, everyone's cheering. Everyone's cheering. Yeah, you get to, people get right into it. Oh man, that's like gladiatorial combat that no one has ever seen before. And then oh man, wow. Well, thank, that's awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that, Arlie. Tell us a little bit about how you got exposed to open and and why you decided to walk down that path. Um, so I just sort of dip my toe in. I um, when I got hired at Quantlin, I hadn't taught for a couple of years, 
And I just thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll try to use the textbook that I, um, I used the last time I taught. And it had gone from being $50 to being $300. So I thought, okay, I guess I'm not gonna, I guess I'm not gonna do that. Um, and so I, I got a cheap textbook, but um, I had a student that semester who every semester, uh, every office hours came to my office hours. And uh, she said, um, can I borrow the textbook? Because she couldn't afford it. So every single time she would borrow it, she would read it, and then she would bring it back. And I just thought, this student's super motivated. Like, this is a barrier I have to remove. So I didn't really, I didn't even know there was a ton of open stuff going on at Kwantlen. I just kind of found some open articles, put them on Moodle. Um, and slowly, you know, that's kind of a gateway because the minute that you start working on open textbook, then you start thinking, oh, well, you know, whose voice is missing here? Whose voice is, uh, um, is absent? What perspective is missing? And then you get into open pedagogy and all of a sudden you're sort of, you know, uh, fully involved. Yeah. Is it getting loud? My toddler just woke up. Oh, no, no, not no, at no. All. that's totally <laughs> fine. Totally fine. I'm just hearing mom, mom, mom. <laughs> it's okay. I don't do much editing, so it'll, it'll be nice to connect. <laughs> well, how did you get into teaching in the first place, Arlie? Um, well, I actually got in through, uh, I started coaching wheelchair basketball. And, um, when I was 17, I coached a junior team and, you know, you, co you coach able-bodied sports and it's basically like, you know, you coach eight year olds or like eight year olds from the same neighborhood. Um, but when you coach, um, well, pair sport, it's everyone, like it, it's everyone from an able-bodied six-year-old sibling up to like an 18 year old. Um, and I really loved it. Like I really loved, uh, um, coaching and getting a chance to kind of figure out how to adapt things to different people's needs. And then when I went to grad school, I got the opportunity to teach um, first business communication, then rhetoric and creative writing. Uh, and I just really loved it. I loved uh, I loved working with students, and I loved getting the opportunity to uh, um, you know teach different uh, different subjects. And um, yeah, I was I when I graduated, I graduated at the height of the, uh, the recession. I went to grad school in the U.S. Um, and, uh, it turned out that having an MFA and being Canadian did not make me super marketable. Um, <laughs> they weren't, they weren't lining up, beating down the door to give me a work visa. So I, um, what? went back to Canada and, uh, uh, worked in, uh, in, uh, nonprofit communication for a while. And so I, yeah, I was really, really excited to get, uh, um, get hired at Quantlin to get back into the classroom. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because I, I I'm just stumbling over my words. Because um, when you when you mentioned that you you took you took rhetoric, like that's that's not a common class, right? And I, I think more people should actually do that. They should take these classes on rhetoric because it actually, I believe, it helps you form your 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 system of engaging with people through proper com conversations, right? Yeah, and I think I really benefited from getting the chance to teach a lot of different things because uh, even though I was all teaching writing, it's teaching writing from different perspectives. And I found that that really helped me, like having taught creative writing really helped me in a business uh, writing classroom and uh, teaching, you know, um, rhetoric or um, uh, introduction to composition, like all of those uh, um, ended up kind of informing each other in neat ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, you, you've led classes to collaboratively work on stuff like research and write on the impact of textbook costs. 
Um, can you tell us how that process has affected your own pedagogy and watching your students do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad that my students pick those topics. So basically, um, when I was on maternity leave, I decided to redesign this introduction to um, communications course. Uh, instead of having students each write their own report, um, I decided to have everyone work together on this one um, big giant kind of report that we would do uh, more focused on the process of writing. So nobody actually gets created on this giant report that we write. But first, the first semester they tackled um, textbook barriers. And then the second semester they tackled um, how Kwantlen can better help international students. And both of those, um, it was interesting being the, the one who knew the least about the, the topic, you know, that the students were kind of the ultimate experts on those subjects. And um, yeah, every semester I learned a lot about, you know, I thought, especially with the textbook um, one, that we were just going to say, okay, let's just do, um, uh, uh, let's make the recommendation that Kwantlen should uh, get, um, you know, support open uh, um, uh, educational resources. And it turned out that uh, that wasn't the biggest barrier. The cost was a huge barrier, but the biggest barrier was, you know, time that students are under such time pressures or, um, you know, students just looking for information in different ways. So I, I learned a ton. It totally changed um, uh, how I approach uh, 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 textbooks, especially. But uh, yeah, every semester that my students do that, that project, it ends up changing my pedagogy a lot. Wow. Did you, did you ever go through a formal process in your mind, at least, or if not on paper, of taking those experiences that you've learned from the classroom, from your students, with the experiences that you've learned through your Paralympic history, and, and forging them together to build some kind of framework about your, your teaching style and your pedagogy? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what, um, I, you know, when I reflect on, on my pedagogy, um, a lot of what I learned from that para-sport um, uh, background is thinking about like, expecting difference. Like rather than expecting that every student is going to have the same needs and kind of being disappointed when students have different uh, needs, uh, expecting that from the beginning and then seeing that as a um, so I, I, I think that that has really allowed me to enter into a classroom where students are bringing different skills to the table and being excited about that and finding ways to have that kind of everyone be able to work together on, even if they're working on different things. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, so did, have you ever shared uh, these findings that your students came up with with faculty? Yeah, so both of the reports that my students have written um, are available um, we circulated them widely. Uh, they're still they're available um, under a Creative Commons license for people to build on. So we shared them uh, with the members of uh, um, the uh, Kwantlen uh, community, but then also abroad. That I've uh, I've been you know sharing the links online, and it's cool to see um, how um, how the report is kind of uh, where it's ending up. So this semester, um, Pamela Ip is. Uh, um, her students are building on what my students did last semester. Um, oh, 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 wow. So somebody else is building on what you've already yeah, done. So those students like uh, are going to do a deep dive into, um, uh, into some of the, the stuff that, that we came up with. Um, and I'm hearing a lot of, uh, especially the international student report. I just got, um, uh, every, I, I've been getting emails from, uh, you know, campuses in Ontario saying like, Oh, can we share this with our faculty? Um, so, and that's great for the students that we went um, okay. uh, last semester when we um, launched that, uh, the report, when I kind of, uh, I posted on Twitter and I had a bunch of people contacting me and a bunch of people 
um, you know, giving uh, praise to the students or saying, oh, I'm really interested in using this. And I read some of them out in class and the students started to cheer. They were just really excited about their work getting used beyond um, beyond the classroom. Like the goal is that we can, our findings can actually have an impact and change um, something at, at our university and then, uh, hopefully beyond. What's well, amazing that you can create a foundation or the students can create a foundation that can be built upon beyond that. And so it's, it's mind blowing for students to see that it's no longer a disposable assignment or something that they just have to do. It's something that can actually be used and other people can use and build on it and express from there. I think it's awesome. Yeah, and I think that that's the, uh, the, the fun thing is that, um, you know, students thinking about they designed their own, they came up with this, um, with this research question and they um, came also did original research and they, so they had to develop survey questions and then, uh, you know, go out and, and do the surveys. And um, yeah, it was, it's always really interesting to me to see what they, how they interpreted those results and what the recommendations that they came up with. Uh, some of them are not what I would have expected. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's a lot of, it's interesting for them to do some of this research and then see how academics are finding similar things so that their, their um, results are actually, you know, rep, uh, replicable. Yeah. I find it interesting too, that the more we involve the students, the more we find out that it's, um, it goes beyond what we expected. Like the things, there's unexpected things pop up all the time, or you think it's going to go one way and it goes the other way and how they have such a voice that has not been listened to for so long. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the uh, one of the really cool things is just students feeling like um, that they have a space to tell a story about something that they experienced. Um, you know, one of the uh, um, when we wrote the executive summary for uh, the uh, report on international students, um, the students had decided. Uh, sorry, my my toddler is uh, is bringing this ball. <laughs> um, totally she's, okay. She's going out with with. Uh, yeah, bye. Um, <laughs> uh, Daddy, right now, she was bringing me a, a spaghetti squash to fortify me here. Nice. nice. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that um, one of the coolest things was that uh, um, students had the opportunity to leave little testimonials within the report. And uh, when we were writing the executive summary, like the uh, executive summary is kind of the most important uh, piece of the report. And we looked at a bunch of different models and one of the models had more of a storytelling approach and students were like, yeah, this is a thing that we really need. Our, our report needs a story. Like that's the most persuasive way that we can convince people. And um, hearing them tell the story, we basically just sat around in a circle and had each student add details to the story as we were writing it. Um, it was just, it was so illuminating to see some of the stuff that, uh, that came out and some of the, um, the barriers that they had uh, um, they had identified like it was uh, I think really impactful for them to be able to tell their um, tell their story in that way and what somebody would actually be listening to it. How do you find the students take to having this kind of discussion in class like it, it's completely different than what they're probably used to. Do you get any pushback from them? Well I think it takes a lot of buy-in like I um, because a lot of the students that I teach um, are not only new to this type of pedagogy, but also new to um, the Canadian education system. So um, it's a lot to ask of them to practice this sort of like external facing project. Um, and the way that this report is, is set up is basically that every um, day in class, we do one thing and then out of class, they do one more thing. And so getting them to buy into that process of like, we're all going to take these little tiny steps together and it's going to build into this report, but nobody actually gets graded on this report. It takes a lot of work to kind of get that, get that um, buy-in for them to see that this is something that 
is worthwhile. Um, and that this is something that is actually like, if they kind of focus on this process that it's going to, um, pay off. So yeah, it definitely takes a lot of weeks of really intentionally kind of building, a um, building that buy-in. But then I also give students the opportunity that, um, the way that the, the project is set up, um, there's a bunch of individual assignments that uh, lead up to this project, but students can choose how they want to interact with the group project. So um, I've had students who did really fantastic research, but chose not to include it in the report. So they had that agency. If they don't want to um, participate, if they don't want to have their work be public, they um, they absolutely don't uh, um, don't have to. So they get to choose, like most of them do. And uh, eventually after several weeks, I'm able to get that buy-in. Um, and I think it also helps that uh, part of the project is a little bit of ungrading. So I'm able to say to students, you can take this risk, you can try something, it cannot work out and your, your grade's not going to suffer. Yeah, that's the thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Let me jump in on that because you said the magic word that I've been waiting for you to say forever. Um, the ungrading piece. Um, tell us about the first time you, 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 uh, you, you decided to employ this in your course and, and how did that make you feel? Well, I think that like the reason that I was so interested in ungrading, and I was lucky that when digital pedagogy lab came to, uh, to Kwantlen, I was able to go and it was just like an eye opener for me. Um, but that got me thinking about ungrading. And one of the biggest challenges that I had had up to that point was that, um, you know, I worked so hard to get the students to say, to like try stuff and, and, and trust the process and believe that they can actually become you know, good writers. And then they get their first grade back and it's not the grade that they wanted and they kind of like shut down. And so I was interested for that reason and, you know, how ungrading could definitely impact student motivation. Um, and so I haven't gone all in and ungrading, but uh, especially in this project, it's really great. Um, students basically at the end of the project write me a performance evaluation where they say, um, here's what I contributed here's what grade I deserve. Um, and I found it's fantastic because it helps students who maybe are not um, the strongest writers or who don't um, yet have the English language fluency um, to see how everything that they're doing contributes to writing. Like writing is not just sitting down and putting words on a paper. Uh, writing is um, talking about uh, the topic to people. It's brainstorming. It's uh, collaborating. It's helping a friend get their citations right. It's editing. It's, you know, creating these charts and graphs. So, um, students were able to see all of the, um, the different ways that they were improving their writing process. And they were able to kind of be proud of all the different ways that they were contributing. Um, one of the things that I asked students in that evaluation is what have you done this semester that you're proud of? And it was, it's been really illuminating to see, to see some of their, res their responses. Wow. And so that, how did your colleagues respond to that? Cause I know when I've talked to my previous colleagues about, the issue of ungrading, I get that eyebrow raise and that kind of look over the glass glasses at me and, and, you know, kind of that cold glare look. Yeah. I think I'm lucky to teach in a department you know, with uh, Melissa Ashman, um, who's also like, um, you know, very, uh, involved in, in open pedagogy and, uh, um, uh, you know, I teach, uh, at, uh, at a university that has some support, uh, for that. And I think the part of the buy-in, the thing that I try to stress is that, I'm asking students to do something really hard. You know, I think sometimes you get the um, accusation that you're sacrificing rigor, that you're not being rigorous. Um, but my feeling is if my students are preparing a 150 page report that has original research, um, that to me is rigor. You know, that um, my goal as an educator is, you know, if I teach them, okay, here's how to write a report, here's how to write a memo, 
and they learn how to write a memo, but they leave my classroom hating writing and thinking that they can't do it. I'm not preparing them for success. But if I develop a project that rewards them trying things and taking risks and um, trying and, and not getting it right and trying again, um, you know, that's hopefully equipping them to be to produce great work um, down the line. So, um, you know, I don't think I ever get 100 percent. Like I still definitely get raised eyebrows, um, but I'm hopeful that uh, um, especially in writing, which is such a iterative process, um, you know, writing class is the perfect place for this kind of ungrading. That's awesome. Speaking of your students, we all attended Cascadia Open Ed Conference last year. And Tim and I attended one of your sessions where you had your students presenting on a project that your class had worked on. Can you explain what that, that project was? Because I also went down to speak at a conference in Oregon and they took what that project was and they were they had a session on that as well down there. So wow. yeah, it was pretty exciting. It was pretty cool. Yeah, so basically I, um, the last, the, the students write this huge report. And then the last step of the process is, um, you know, we know that not everyone's going to read all 150 pages of what we wrote. So our last task is to take what we learned and teach it to somebody else in a new way. So they can, they choose their audience and then they can do whatever they want. So I get, you know, um, poems, I get uh, videos, people, uh, this semester we had a talk show. Uh, I get, uh, um, you know, games, like all, they can basically uh, think about um, how does somebody, who, do, who needs to know this message and what's the best way to teach them? Like, what's the best way to get them to understand what we uncovered? Um, and so with, uh, I had put in a proposal for Cas the Cascadia um, Open Education Summit. Um, and I had said, you know, if anyone wants to work on something that basically shows this, uh, um, uh, the, uh, you know, shows this process, um, you know, you can, uh, um, you can, can, you can work with me, uh, for your final project. And so three students decided that they, that they wanted to, uh, take this offer and, um, Gordon Clarkson, Twink Aurora and Jasmine Marar. And, uh, they created this really amazing game where they decided that they wanted to teach faculty how, um, students make decisions about textbook. Um, uh, and cause one of the things that our research found was that it wasn't just about cost, right? If you are, um, uh, you have an open education textbook, that's great. But if you're not allowing a student to rewrite a grade when they get the flu, you're, you're still not preparing students for, um, for success. So they designed this, this really amazing uh, game where uh, people play as uh, uh, different characters. So there's five characters. Each one is based on the research that the students did. Um, and the, basically the goal is to have your character pass the semester. So the first round, you um, select your textbooks and you decide if you want to buy them. Uh, there's penalties if you don't buy them. Uh, in the second round, you kind of uh, react. You have to pass your midterms. And then the third one, you have to pass your final exam. So, um, you know, it's a very intentionally frustrating game. Um, and it's very interesting to see faculty react saying, like, this is impossible. You know, how, uh, um, how do you even pass as, as this particular character? Oh, yeah. I got to jump in because I, I was there at that Cascadia thing. And, th and that was the first time I had met you in person. I had started following you before that. But I, I'm in I'm in the middle of this game and I'm like, how do they how do they do this? Like and this is based on real, real students experiences. And I'm like, ah, this this just sucks. Like and, and it's like, you know, your family members sick and in the hospital, you can't go to school. So you miss a you miss a class. And so you got demerits here or 
you got to you got to work longer hours at work or and and, and it, it just seemed like you just got over a hump and then another big rock fell on top of you and it was just it was so uh impactful because it just it it touches you right where you're because you know students are going through it and and i'll add to this i'm getting all excited can you tell uh rajiv was sitting behind me and and he was like i'm just gonna crumple this up and throw it away because it's frustrating him so much so you guys did a bang up job i mean your students did fantastic on that game because it it i mean it hit home like it was unbelievably shocking how how it hit home so good good job Mm -hmm. to your students yeah they did an amazing job and i think you know it's really um it was amazing to see what what each one of those students brought to brought to that project that they uh uh, yeah, they did such a great job, and now our goal is to try to make it online so that it can potentially be used in a, a bit more like easily uh, accessible format. The students did, I do have a, a Creative Commons license on it, but it was amazing. I had um, uh, every semester this uh, last semester they did the the uh, textbook game in the spring semester, then the summer semester I had a student with every single name of the student character, so it was just a kind of constant <laughs> reminder to me about what students. Um, are going through and I would find, uh, um, you know, little, uh, there's these little uh, playing cards that we, that we had created and I would ever, every once in a while find one in my, uh, in my office or something like it was, it was just a great reminder to me about what, um, what students are going, uh, going through. Yeah. I would, I would even, I would even propose and advocate really strongly that that game has to become part of a, a teacher training course, whether it's the ID program or even in, in a um, uh, a situation where people are going to get trained for their their PDP going into the K-12 system or whatever kind of teaching um, system you're going into, this game needs to be a part of that because it's just, it's that real, yeah. it's that real. No, and I think that, I mean, that was the, the beautiful thing about, like I, I was just so impressed with how the students kind of came, we, how we were willing to iterate with this game that, it um, it went through a number of different of uh, versions, and we had people. Uh, I was recruiting colleagues to come and try and play it, and um, we'd make changes based on that, and then make more changes. That um, yeah, the students were just so willing to. Um, I think that uh, Gordon, one of the students, who came up with the idea. Um, you know, he was basing it on like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but yeah, what a um, it was. I was just so at, at that age. I don't think that I would have been that willing to. Um, you know constantly kind of test and make the make the product better like i would have just been like no i did it it's fine it's done um yeah yeah, they were a really remarkable bunch of students yeah well and part of that goes to you because you know they're they're gonna they're gonna go into that space that's created for them because they feel safe right and that's that's a reflection of you and your pedagogy and and your your empathy Mm -hmm. towards them so Part of that goes to you too. Oh, well, thank you. I, I mean, I I would think every semester I get I get lucky with having such an awesome um, group of students. I really am lucky to teach uh, teach where I do. Mm. Yeah. Hey, um, what have you learned in your teaching practice about OER OEP? That's that's surprised you, like like literally just almost taking your breath. I think away. what surprised me is just how much you know how far you can you can go with it and how quickly um once you make a small change how much dividends that pays off you know uh, one of the reasons that i was able to get involved in, in open pedagogy is just seeing how these tiny little changes that i made were having students you know when they were reflecting on the, the end of the course like yeah how much uh, how much of a difference it made that 
you know, you don't need to go a hundred percent in, like you can just take these tiny steps and, um, it has a huge payoff for students. And then I think the other thing is just that every single time that I involve students, like every single time that I ask students or, um, get their feedback, things get so much better. You know, that I think when I first started teaching, I was like, no, I'm the, I'm the expert. This is the way that I'm, I'm going to do it. But I found that more and more that I positioned myself as the learner and, uh, intentionally seek out opportunities where I am the person in the room who knows the least. Um, yeah, my, it, it, everything just gets so much more interesting and, um, uh, so much more rewarding. hundred percent agree. We're, we're, if you can take the idea that you're more of a facilitator than a lecturer or a teacher, it, it changes the whole game, I think. Yeah. And I think that too, you being, you know, going back to kind of my wheelchair basketball career is being, you know, respectful of backgrounds that people come in with, you know, that rather than seeing, uh, I mean, often I work with students who are, um, really don't like writing or don't have had really negative experiences in writing and, um, being able to, but then we'll say to you, Oh, well, I have an Instagram account where I write poetry or, um, Oh, I, uh, I write my own music or I want to be a screenwriter. Or I, um, you know, that, the more that I work with students, the more I just see how much they're bringing into the, the classroom. And if we can make space for the things that they're bringing into the classroom, that, um, yeah, it ends up uh, being a great bridge to some of the some of the, the skills that we're working on. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. Um, as we're creeping up on our on our time frame here, um, we want to ask some really deep, important questions. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Uh, what was the last movie you watched? Uh, what was the last movie I watched? I'm trying to remember. I have a terrible memory for, um, for movies because I keep, I often watch them at night and then I fall asleep. <laughs> um, and then I wake up and, you know, my husband pokes, pokes me and prods me and I'm, you know, got to try to stay awake towards the end. Um, we recently rewatched a goofy movie um and that was pretty fun because that was one of my favorite movies when i was a kid and uh yeah it stands up <laughs> it holds up does it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, but yeah a lot of what i'm uh I, my attention span for a full movie is uh um yeah i it's uh since having a having a kid has been has been a lot less oh, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious Oh man, that's good. Um, I, I found a quote uh, that that you had that you had obviously you had said. Um, it, it says, "I want to create something that you can't Google." Mm. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember saying that? Yeah. So fl- flesh that out a little bit as we wrap up. Well, I think that a lot of, especially teaching business writing, there's so many templates out there. There's so many kind of how tos, like how to write a memo, how to write an email, um, and. I want to create an experience that is less about kind of the template, like something that you can Google, like you can Google how to write a report um, and find some of the stuff that we cover in class. Um, but I want to give students an experience that they can't get anywhere else, like an experience where we're working together on something. Um, you know, we're, we're building our skills. We're trying something new. Um, that experience that I, I try to create is something that you can't just, yeah, because it's not as based on content. You can't just, you can't find a YouTube video about it. Like it, uh, you have to be in that classroom for that uh, that experience um, to happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have any? Do you no, have any I, else I mean, we could. I got lots of stuff we could talk about. But we'll save that for the next time we interview Harley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Hopefully, you'll come back for round two, Harley. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, 
um, yeah, this was super fun. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again for taking the time. Really deeply appreciate it. There's mm-hmm. a ton of stuff in here for, for everybody to listen to. Um, so uh, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe and uh, give us a rating review of uh, five. We, we would super duper like a five because that just makes us feel better. And um, we'll uh, look forward to uh, chatting with uh, other people and, and uh, getting you to listen to us next time. Thanks, thanks so much everyone. for tuning in. Thanks,